Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 298 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, here as always with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. How are you? Well, I'm good. It's really rainy on the day we're recording this. Um, it is February, and that's my birth month, so I'm super happy. How are you? I'm pretty good. It is the dead of winter here in Michigan, and it's cold and snowy, which is okay, but my kids are back in school full-time, and that is like saving my life right now. Oh, that is. It makes a huge difference, and I can speak to that because even though I love our winter rains, um, my kids have been in school in person but rainy days mess up the whole COVID safety plan, which includes a lot of yep. outdoor um, outdoor learning and outdoor like eating and stuff. And so we actually have like adjusted minimum days and even at home remote learning days. So we've gone backwards. You've moved forward into the into the light. Yeah. <laughs> and I have kids at home on Zoom right now. But I know that's the reality for so many parents. I don't I don't have a lot of room to complain, but just it makes a huge difference, I think, in our mood, our productivity and all of that. I think they should just put your kids under one of those big tents yeah. outside. Yeah. You know, the ones like the church uh-huh. picnic tents, yeah. like huge. Yeah. yeah. Just get one of those. Throw all the kids under it. Why I not? I mean, kids can eat out there. Like the, it's <laughs> right. just rain, exactly. Californians. OK, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, we are talking about school today and specifically we're talking about making decisions about schooling. And now this early February is This is a hot topic right now. Even before COVID, January, February tends to be a time when if you're looking at preschools, they'll, you know, they'll do their tours or they used to. They used to do school tours. Um, If you live in an area where there's like a charter system or even um, public schools do like open enrollment across across the district to different school sites. I've lived in areas where that's a thing. All that starts to kick into gear in the month of February. And I don't know if you've noticed, Megan, but I've definitely seen an uptick in our Facebook community of people asking questions about like, should I give my kindergartner another year at home or should I homeschool? And then all of this is like pre-COVID and then you add COVID to the mix. And I think everybody just understands kind of the, the weight of these decisions that are made in January, February, March, even though they're for August, September later this year. And we don't even know what the world's going to be like. So we thought this would be a good time to talk about school decisions. I am really excited about this because I have to say, um, you know this, but I kind of opted out of having to make any school decisions by moving to the town I'm in 12 Mm -hmm. years ago. And that was because we had had to make so many school decisions the first, um, I'm going to say, five or six years of my kids being in K-12, like not Mm -hmm. preschool. That was different. But like once they were in the primary school, I feel like we were just every year it felt like we had to choose again. You know what I mean? And then after after living through that in a big city, I was like, I, can't, I just can't with this. Yeah. So we moved to a small town where the only decision is like, how close to the school do we want to live? <laughs> I love Because you don't want to live if you live too close. If you live here within a mile of the school, um, you don't get bus service, mm. which actually can That's be hard. like if you. Well, it is if you live like, say, you live nine tenths of a mile yeah. from the school. Technically, you're close to the school, close enough you don't get bussed. But you're just far enough that you're not going to have your second grader walking. Right. You know in what I mean? No, so, like, or the right, rain. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that has been more of the kind of choices we've been making over yeah. the last 12 years. Like how, how far is far enough or not, you know, sufficiently far? Well, I think you bring up a really good point and something like a context we wanted to set is we know that like depending on where you live, not everybody has a ton of school choice options. And in fact, you know, if you go back a couple of generations, wasn't a lot of discussion about schools. Maybe it was like the local private Catholic school or the public school. And that was it. 
Yep. But we just yeah. live in a time where even like you, Megan, who chose a school district that felt good and plopped yourself in the middle of it, there can still be choice issues that come up along the way. Sometimes even within the same district or yeah. the same system, you might be faced with like gate or honors tracks, um, special programs within your school. You might, because of COVID, be considering opting out or doing a virtual or an online or a homeschool program. So I don't think it's always about like, oh, there's 10 charters and all these private school options, which, by the way, I have lived in areas where that's more the norm. But across our country, I think everybody faces at some point decisions about schooling, even as simple as, hey, I've got a busy three-year-old. I'm a stay-at-home mom. They don't need preschool. Should I do or I don't need preschool for childcare? I should say, should I do the three-day half day or three half days or four full days. Like there's, there's just decisions baked into all of this. And I think what we're going to do today, rather than give you advice on any one of those many scenarios, but just give you some like guideposts to think about as you make your school decisions. So I think my point is for very few families, is it like a set it and forget it thing? And you just brought that up, Megan, which even though you, you kind of did that for your family, there are still things that come up along the way. Yeah. And honestly, even in this sort of like simplified small town uh, situation we have, which if you just live within the, the city limits, you're automatically enrolled in the one, you know, mm-hmm. in the one high school or one element, or there's three elementaries, one middle and one high, even the elementary was kind of a decision. And if one of my kids was particularly athletic or mm-hmm. um, really into a certain um, performing art, we might even be looking at using the schools of choice, which can seem kind of silly when you're in a small town and you're mm-hmm. already like paying the property taxes to get you in those schools, right? And it's a good school district and the next one over maybe isn't any like better. And I'm putting huge air quotes around right. better because we're going to dive into like yeah. how kind of even silly that, you know, qualifier is. Um, but there are parents who make decisions about getting their kids into a program, like a, into a school with a better football program or mm-hmm. a better choir program or a better theater program. And those are definitely considerations, even if you are kind of in a smaller town district. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. It's never simple. Yeah. Never simple. Yeah. Um, well, I think the structure of today's episode is going to be you and I sharing sort of some like truths or guiding principles that I think hopefully parents can take away no matter what kind of school decision they're facing. And I'm going to kick us off with the first one and then we'll move through and we'll just kind of banter about I don't know. Like, it feels weird to call them truths because we don't know what we're talking about. These are just things we've observed. <laughs> They're truisms. They're yeah. truthy. Mm-hmm. Truthy-ish. <laughs> Megan and Sarah's truthy-ish. I love that. We should take that on the road. <laughs> um, you know, you also made a really good point, Sarah, that the tendency for us parents right now is to crowdsource like everything to like, re- like to rely on reviews or to ask our friends what they think or to ask many, many, many of our not so close friends on Facebook mm-hmm. what they think or Instagram. And like some things that really works with, like if you're buying, you know, a product, but does that work with school? Yeah, I, I'm, I don't think it does. And I think, well, let me say, it's always fine to check in with your trusted circle and crowdsourcing is a wonderful advantage of the age that we live in. Um, but you're not buying a minivan. You're really looking for a relationship, right? Like a school, right. the way a school fits into your family is much more analogous to a relationship than it is a product because it's a organic dynamic, like shifting, changing thing as is your family. So, I mean, if you want to crowdsource school options on Facebook, I think that's wonderful, but I I hope that you come away from this episode knowing that that is like a teeny piece of the digging you'll do in making these decisions. And most of it, I think rests within knowing your kid knowing your family, even things like how far you want to drive and what time you want to pick them up. And even logistics can play a bigger role. So just remember when you read crowdsourcing threads about schools in your area that um, somebody's truth can just be very true for them and may not apply at all to your family. And I think sometimes we try to approach it like like we're shopping around. And I think there's some major differences. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And I think that just, just like with buying a minivan, or a you know vacuum cleaner or whatever, the grumpiest people are going to be the ones that have the most to say. That's just how it mm-hmm. always is. So you may hear some really strong opinions against a teacher or a program or a certain school or a principal, and then you meet them, and you're like, no, they're great, or my kid had a fantastic experience. So it's almost like you have to look for like the aggregate of the grumpy people. Mm-hmm. And if like you know 15 people are grumpy about it, maybe that's telling you something. But one, I mean, 
that person may have just that did not meet their needs. Yeah. And and it doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means it might not be true for you. And uh, that and the same goes in in the more positive direction, yeah. like people who are really happy or really unhappy tend to be the ones who share. I'm, Everyone else is just like, whatever. Well, it's so <laughs> it's so true. And also the two extremes, in my experience, um, often have the least tenure as an as an experienced yes. school parent. So people are blown away in the positive or really ticked off in the negative by one semester or one classroom experience. Yep. I got asked a lot because we were at a brand new charter school for four years in Orange County. And I always got asked for my opinion because it was relatively new and people had heard different things. And I, I just always was super honest. And I think if you if you can have not a Facebook comment thread, but a real conversation with someone who's been there for a little while, I think you'll find that the honest answer is, well, there's pros and cons and no school is perfect. And that was always the advice I tried to give. So if you are going to lean into kind of community advice, I would just encourage you to find people who've been there for a little while, who've seen the ups and downs and who will honestly tell you the pros and cons because there's no school that doesn't have pros and cons. And so find, find that kind of crowdsourcing. And I think that could be genuinely helpful for sure. Love it. All right. So truth number one was you're not buying a minivan. You're finding a relationship. I just like that. It sounds like something you can, you know, put on a bumper sticker. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place dot com code mom hour. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code MOMHOUR5050 at factormeals.com slash MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Sarah, so we've kind of detailed a few and I'm just going to tee you up to talk about these and I definitely will have some things to say um, on most of them as well. But one of the very first truisms, truthisms, guiding principles, whatever you want to call it about making school decisions is that often the right answer will reveal itself in time. So this isn't like you said, it's not a, um, there's not a deadline and it's also not a make it once now and that will last forever. Right. Right. So like what? Yeah. 
Well, that more. and if you're listening to this right now, you're probably saying, well, no, Megan and Sarah, there is actually a deadline. I do have to decide to <laughs> enroll my on this piece yeah, of paper. Like February 15th yeah. is the deadline for preschool enrollment. So we get that. And we have done that a million times between the two of us. However, I am seeing a lot of um, hand wringing from parents of very young kids about things like repeating a kindergarten year or holding back a fall birthday kid. Very common very good question. Not saying it's not something you'll want to discuss with teachers and your spouse and make a decision at some point, but most likely you don't have to decide that right now. And that right answer is very likely to reveal itself if you wait. And it's so funny because I this is hard for me. I am a planner and I do want to know what's going to happen. But in my experience with education, the school decisions that I have had to make have almost all been within, I'm going to say, three to six months out from the thing itself. Um, Sometimes that might be moving a kid from one school to another or keeping a kid in the same class for an extra year. Um, It's very hard the way children develop to make those decisions any sooner than three to six months out. I don't know, Megan, if you can speak to things like, you know, kids wanting to go to a certain high school or maybe older kid things, but As hard as it is, I think trusting that the right answer will reveal itself in time and that not everything is a February 15th deadline where you've got to get your application thing, application in. Some things are. And so, of course, you're going to treat those things differently, but not every school decision is like that. And if you're not looking at a decision in the next, I don't know, 90 days, I might just say, let's put that on hold. Let's trust that the right decision will reveal itself in time. You know, I think all of that is really, really true. But I also think there's like an important uh, addendum to that mm-hmm. or like another part of that conversation is, well, first of all, twofold. If you're worried about where your kids are going to go to high school when they're in first grade, you have no idea what's right. going to be happening <laughs> that many years down the road, right? Like you might move or your kid might be, might get into something that you that local high school or whatever, that one, that one desirable high school cannot do for them. Or and it, like, or maybe their reputation will go down or maybe a, a better option will come on, on the scene. So you, you really just don't know. And I think another thing, like when we're talking about redshirting, which is, you know, when you specifically or, or uh, very intentionally hold a kid back so that they are kind of have an advantage in kindergarten or later, um, uh, like the cutoff dates for mm-hmm. kindergarten starting and all that, those, those tend to be trendy stories sometimes that I think when a lot of people are talking about something, it creates, and this could be anything, like any parenting trend. When people are all talking about it and it's getting into the news and it's becoming, you know, an issue that's like got a name, it can get more weight than it needs to have. Mm-hmm. Like we can, we can assign it more weight than it actually requires. Mm-hmm. Um, for myself personally, with having four kids with fall birthdays, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time stressing about whether to wait you know, cause they were all like just before the cutoff in Michigan. Um, and then we ended up moving to Illinois where the cutoff was a different month. I can't now remember exactly how it worked out, but like in Michigan, I believe the cutoff to be five was like December 1st. Yeah. Which that's I what it was when I later. was growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in Illinois, it was only like October 1st. So Will could have gone to kindergarten, but then we didn't start him in kindergarten because we were in Illinois and it was, and he's not, he didn't turn five till October 25th. Then we moved back to Michigan where a bunch of kids had started at five Mm -hmm. and they had December birthdays. You know what I'm saying? So like Mm -hmm. we sort of accidentally redshirted him Mm -hmm. without really meaning to. It was just happened because of where we lived. And I guess my point is just what was I going to do about that? That there there was only so much my worrying about it could change. And in the end, it really didn't matter at all. Yeah. He ended up going to young fives when we moved here for half a semester or for a semester and then started kin- and started kindergarten the next year. And it was fine. He was six. Whoop, big whoop. Yep. And, and yeah. kind of to, to my point earlier, most of that decision-making really is going to happen with conversations with your teachers that, that yes. are not going to happen until a semester or two before. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's really hard, but just trusting that whatever you feel like is a big, if right now or a big question mark, yeah. if it's farther out than three to six months, I would really encourage you to trust that you'll be a little clearer as time goes on. Interestingly, before we move on real quick, I am in in the middle right now of a truly 50-50 school decision for Reed for sixth grade, uh, a decision between two very good options. But we already pulled this kid and moved from Orange County to Santa Barbara. 
um, in the summer. So he's already been uprooted. Um, and I truly, at the time of this recording, can I can make arguments for both for both sides. And I am in the middle of this right now. The difference is I actually will have to make some decisions in the next few months. But I've lined up a couple of teacher conversations and Brian and I've started talking about it. And it wouldn't have done any good for me to start worrying about that in July when we moved here. I knew it was going to be right. an issue, but like I needed him to get comfortable in the school where he was to see how he did. And I knew we'd, I knew we'd come to it and now we're in it, but I didn't, there was nothing I did that made this decision any easier six months ago, if that makes sense. Yeah. So. Okay. So moving on and Sarah, I really think that this ties into exactly what you're talking about yeah. with not, you know, knowing what your decision even is. And that is no matter what you decide, no decision is irreversible for real. Like you really can decide mm -hmm. and then change your mind. Mm -hmm. And I think that that it can feel very like fraught, like whatever we decide is just the way it will be forever and ever. Amen. And, and we both know that's not how it is. It's really not how it is. And I want to maybe give some context for people who, if you grew up in a K uh, six elementary or a K-12 parochial school or some some public school system where like like in the town where you live, Megan, where you you enter in kindergarten and that is your home and your bubble and you came out of it after high school and that was your school experience. It might be really hard and a little scary for you to imagine moving your kids from one school to another. And I want to empathize with that. But especially if if it wasn't part of your childhood or if your childhood included a lot of really traumatic school moves on the, on the other end of the spectrum, you can carry some stuff about that. And I think we talk about this a lot on the show, Megan, that we bring those experiences of our own um, and then sometimes perhaps give them more importance than they need when making decisions for our right. kids. Because I hear a lot of parents saying, well, I want to make sure that wherever we end up for kinder is like where we intend to stay. And of course, like, that's great. That's a great guidepost to have. But I guess because I've moved my kids so many times throughout elementary school and they've just mostly done OK. And many of the moves have actually yeah. been really positive ones. I can just say that it's not you. It's not um, I don't know. It's it's not the only thing to consider. And like you said, making a decision, then making a switch is not it's not that you made the wrong choice or that you failed. You're just going to make a different decision next year or next semester or with the next kid. And so I think these two really do go together, that the right answer will reveal itself in time. And just just knowing that you can pull the plug. Megan, you made a big school change like mid-year this year for your kids. So yeah. um, it's you get to be in a position to... Um, make a change if one is needed. And I think when you're making the initial decision, knowing there's an out or knowing that that's possible is really important. I, I've lost a security deposit on a private school before because we made a last minute change and that hurt. It stung in the dollars, but it was the right, it was part of a right decision that I didn't look back from. So I don't know what you can add to this. Well, I think that another thing that comes to mind for me is that it, especially if you have multiple children and, and we're going to talk about priorities in a few minutes and, and this actually could probably go in either one of those sections. So maybe I'll have more to, to say about it when we talk about priorities. But um, sometimes it takes you a little while to figure out what is the right school situation that works for your whole family. And that means your oldest kid may end up being a bit of a guinea pig. Mm -hmm. um, and that's OK. Like. For us, you know, we have a big family and we tried a few different things. We, um, Jacob went to a public school in the town we were living in at the time. I was not impressed with the, you know, um, it was a good school. Like it was a good district. Well, you know, well regarded and, and people really liked it. And our kindergarten experience for Jacob was not great and kind of spooked me and then ended up pulling him out and homeschooling him for first grade because I just couldn't decide. Like I just honestly, like I had a, um, a new baby and a toddler at home. So it was Jake Isaac and Will days. And I was just like, I don't, I can't deal with another year like last year. And I haven't found anything better. So it felt like first grade felt a little low stakes for me to kind of just bow out for a little bit. And then we did two parochial schools in a row. And those were actually really good experiences. Like after the sort of traumatic public school experience we had going to a really small school where both Jacob and Isaac could start. And we both, we just felt like it was very family feeling and mm -hmm really felt like, like we knew everybody and it felt very safe, um, and nurturing. And that was great for a while. And then I realized I wasn't willing or able to spend that much money for, to educate five kids yeah. all the way through, you know, eighth grade. Um, 
And then that's when we kind of made the decision to move to the town we're in, which means Jake and Isaac had the experience of changing schools three times mm-hmm. and um, not even counting the different Montessori preschools they went to and stuff. And then Owen, Will, and Clara have only ever known this one district. Mm-hmm. And so they've had very different experiences. And the bigger boys also went through from elementary you know, till high mm-hmm. school. Um, so they were with this program for a long time too. But I guess my point is just like, you might not know, it might not even be about what's right for each individual kid in your family. It might be like, what is going to be the, the one thing we can all like cobble together mm-hmm. that's going to work for the whole family. And that I think just takes a while to figure out. Your family has to mature a bit, yeah. right? Yep. I totally agree. So, yep. So we changed our minds and changed them again and again. Yeah. And none of that means that the original decision wasn't right. You're just you're maybe it helps to frame it as you're making a decision this year for fall 2021. That's the decision you're making. You're not the pressure is not on you to decide everything else. Um, And even that decision can be reversed. It can be reversed. I mean, I've had friends switch their kid after a week in one school. I've had friends, you know, switch mid semester. It it is a big deal and it can feel traumatic, but people do it all the time. So if it, if, if it feels scary, just know that it's, you know, it's a big thing, but it's not that big a thing is my point, I guess. Right. Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about, um, priorities because I think we touched on that a little bit in just that, you know, your priorities will inform whether you switch (laughs) or make changes or what you choose to begin with. And I think when we talked about crowdsourcing, that's another thing that gets complicated because other people right. might be might have very different priorities from you. So it's hard not to take theirs to heart or feel like you should have the same priorities. But Sarah, I know we both have lots of opinions yeah. about this one. I do. And what's funny is I'm not actually shy about sharing my own educational priorities. And I have some strong opinions, especially about early education. But I would never assume that someone else has the same priorities. It's just so different. So that's why we wanted to start with that kind of right. crowdsourcing conundrum um, because it really depends. So yeah, other people's educational priorities may be vastly, vastly different from yours. And that doesn't mean that theirs are better or yours are wrong, but it's really hard when you are at the beginning and you're not even sure what yours are. And I do remember that. Right. Um, I have a funny story. So my oldest went to Montessori preschool and I, I went to Montessori preschool. So I picked that because that's where I had gone and you know, my mom was always a big fan and we loved our little preschool. That that decision was fairly easy. And then elementary school came and I was in Scottsdale area, which has not only open enrollment across multiple districts. So people go shopping around public schools, but then there's also several popular charters. There's private. It's a there's a lot of school choice going on over there. And I toured a lot of schools because that's what people did who had incoming kinders. And I went to I, I toured a very, very popular, successful charter school with my closest mom friend. Like we, we were like buddy buddies. Our girls were exactly the same age. They had so much in common. So you would think we were like doing this school hopping together. Oh, she, my, my friend Stacy also is a teacher, an elementary school teacher herself. So she's, you know, knew a lot. And we toured this one, this one charter school and it was a long tour, like 45 minutes. And we didn't say much. And we walked out into the parking lot and she goes, Oh my gosh, it's going to be so hard to get into. The lottery is like so intense. And I looked at her and I was like, you can have my spot. Like I don't, (laughs) there's one less person to compete with because I am not even dropping. I'm not even putting my name in a form field for that school. And we had such different opinions on this school. And she was one of my closest friends. Our girls were a lot of like Allegra would have done fine there. It's a fine program, but it was one of the first times I learned like, oh, I do have opinions about this. And this is not this is not where I want my kid. So I think when you're at the beginning, it's hard. It gets easier as you move on. And then you can kind of start to own your priorities. So I, I thought I'll just list a few of what mine were, but there are so many others that weren't a priority for me. So for me, I wanted a full day kindergarten. That was like that put some schools just that had a half day kinder like as a non-option. I wanted as small a class sizes as I could get for free. We weren't doing private school at that time. Um, but class size has been a big issue in both Arizona and California where I've had kids in public school. So I was looking for, you know, ratios that didn't seem, I don't know, criminal to me. Um, I wanted, I wanted all three of my kids when I was looking ahead, I was hoping for a situation where all three of my kids could be 
in the same school for a while, if possible. So I ended up choosing a K-8 um, public charter because that would mean they would be together for longer. Um, and I wanted low emphasis on kind of homework and testing, especially in the lower grades. But I didn't know that going in. I learned that as I did this. So, you know, other other people have different priorities. And like there are some that are not even on my list, like a bus service or a religious affiliation or a particular philosophy. So um, it's just it's all over the map. But I would never impose mine on somebody else. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's funny that you said like full day kinder was one of your priorities, because for a long time for me, I actively sought out half day kinder, mm. which you could still get. I mean, now it's really even here. Like it's very rare. But like for a long time, if you were living in a smaller town or a lot of more affluent districts where there was more at home parents would have um, low half day. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking like, wow, my kids are so smoked when they get home at the end of a, like a full yeah. day of school. By the time they get to first grade, I was like, I'm OK. Like I'm working from home anyway. I kind of like the pace of our days. I wouldn't mind having my kindergartner home in the afternoons um, or in the mornings for some, for another year. And then Clara, I believe was the first one who had full day kinder. And she was like, she went and I thought, Oh my gosh, this is like, this is life changing. I can't believe I was ever against this, but there were trade-offs. She did come home really tired and it was, it was a little, and I, and I didn't know what to do with myself all day. She was my last, my youngest and Mm -hmm. she left and was gone for six to seven hours. And that year was kind of hard on me actually. So you know, you, you can even change your priorities from year to year, or you think something is important to you um, that maybe really isn't. And, and like there are another one that comes to mind is that there are people who will really go out of their way to support public schools as a philosophy. And I mean, mm-hmm. their, you know, their local public non-charter, non like mm-hmm. yeah. a magnet or whatever, their, their neighborhood school. Mm-hmm. And that is for a lot of people, that is a it's a political stance. It is a, a philosophical and it really has not that much to do with their kids' academic performance. And that's cool too. Like we're all making a change yes. in the world somehow. Right. And we all have to kind of feel like we can get behind whatever we've decided. And if getting behind something means you want to feel like part of a change or part of an important movement and your kids are like your little mini ambassadors, you're, you're going to be a good parent. It's not like you're going to yeah. just be like, well, I'm going to put them in this awful public school because I believe in public schools and they'll just figure it out. I mean, none of, none of our listeners right. are going to have that attitude. Right. Um, so you might have friends and I know my sister is a big public school, um, big public school supporter and lives in a district that a lot of parents specifically send their kids out of. So they live in the same city yeah. and send their kids to the suburbs yeah. and my sister won't. And she said she's had really uncomfortable conversations with people who cannot believe she would do that. Like, we'll we'll call her out. And basically say, like, your kids aren't getting a good education or the schools aren't even safe or whatever, like things that she knows are not true. But she has to deal with that, um, that sort of discrimination, or that mm-hmm. bias a mm-hmm. lot. And it just shows you how you you really have to be firm in your priorities and understand them and like be willing to kind of be uncomfortable if they don't match up with other people's because they're not yeah. going to. Yeah. And, always. and to separate, to be like not practice non-attachment to use yes. yoga. Like yeah. it's, you're not attached to the other person's priorities. Um, but right. I, that is a great argument for dipping your toes in the water of understanding how the education system works in your specific state and region, because um, it, it is very different region to region, the way schools are funded the, the yes. actual way that your tax dollars go to schools is hugely different depending on where you live. So sometimes we see like headlines, like you were talking about the red shirting thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and so sometimes we see headlines are kind of just fall into the habit of like thinking, OK, this is how it works. And um, you might find some really different practices in your local area. And I personally yeah. kind of find education policy interesting right now. It's like a big part of my life, but you know, it's, it's worth starting to ask questions and maybe figure out how that works for your area. So that when you are, when you are, when you do come up against those things, like you were saying, um, that you are informed. So. Yeah. And I think redshirting is a great example because if you live in a state with a, with an, a late or an early, sorry, cutoff to turn five, in order you're redshirting without meaning to. And then if you wanted to additionally redshirt, you'd have to hold your kids back till they're seven. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, in some places, it's just not really, it's not really your choice. Mm-hmm. It just happens where it doesn't. And I think when these things become headlines, that's easy to lose sight of. Yeah. So. 
Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves, so they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, Sarah. So this one definitely plays into our last point, which is that everyone's priorities are different. Um, and I think this one is, it's, it's similar, but like, I think it's worth breaking out into its own truism or um, guiding philosophy. And that is that even the perfect school can be an imperfect fit for your family. And I will just say, this could be really hard to accept. Mm -hmm. If you think you've somehow like won the lottery and gotten somehow managed to score a spot in like, what is the perfect school? And then you're like, why does this not feel right Mm -hmm. for whatever reason? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that's why we did break it out is the one about priorities is more about finding what your priorities are and feeling confident about them. But what if you feel confident in your priorities and you found a school option that just feels like it's perfect and then for some reason it isn't? And the the reasons that came up for me is like distance and drive time are a huge, a huge consideration. Mm. Um, if you haven't yet spent a lot of time in a pickup line waiting for your kids or driving them to school in the rain or the dark in the morning... It can feel like, okay, 15 minutes is no big deal. I just ask you to do the math that it's 15 minutes there and 15 minutes back and 15 minutes there and 15 minutes back later in the afternoon if you're going to collect them. That assumes that all your kids are in the same school. What if you now have a preschool who's five minutes from home but in the other direction and the pickup times are... Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like the, the, This is the area where the number of choices we have can lead to lives that are really spent very unhappily in the car. And if that's a, if you're going in with clear eyes and open heart or whatever the saying is, and you know, that's part of it and it's worth it, then of course, like by all means, put on the audiobooks, like go through the drive through Starbucks and, and just embrace it. But I just, I guess I caution people to think about the logistics of your school choice. And that includes things like pickup times. It includes things like how you're supposed to pack their lunch. I remember you t- telling those stories about when your boys were little and it was so hard for you as a full-time working mom to pack the right kind of snacks that they were supposed to have. Like all these little yep. details can take what seems on paper to be a perfect school. And then we tell ourselves, well, it's the perfect school. So I should be, I should be okay with a little extra drive or I should be okay yeah. 
sourcing organic snacks and not putting them in plastic or whatever. But here's right. the thing, like we have to be able to sustain this excitement and passion and involvement for this school for a long time. So my opinion is it's worth it's worth your own mental health and personal sanity to make your school parent life logistically tenable. And sometimes that means, you know, saying a goodbye to something that felt like a really awesome opportunity. Well, it's kind of like this. You could look, you could put two schools side by side and one might be objectively better, like in all of the ways that matter to you. But is it enough better Mm -hmm. that the loss to your family life or your sanity or like the wear on your car or (laughs) tuition? I mean, tuition's a big one. I've known several people who got their kids into fantastic private schools and they were so excited to do that. And then they had to take another job to pay for it. And I'm like, I'm not judging. If that's what, if you really think it's important enough to do that, great. But is it, is it better enough, enough. that that money yeah. wouldn't maybe have been better spent in another way or your time could have been freed up to do other things for your family? It's never, there's, it, these are, these are decisions we're not making in a vacuum. Yeah. It's never just A or B. There's always C or D or E, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there's always other factors and other choices. And I think that, um, it's not a race to get the most perfect is perfect of schools so that your child can be like, like, what's the end goal, right? Are they going to be 10% happier, a hundred percent more, you know, yeah. 90% more successful. What if the school they go to is like 5% less awesome, mm-hmm. but your life is yes. now a hundred percent more awesome. Like, it's just, put that on a t-shirt. I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I went just like some kind of fever state there. I'm not yeah. trying to get that back, but yeah, like I just, there's so many things to weigh and your one kid's academic success is not the only factor. Nor is it guaranteed at that perfect school. So that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No. Amen. Amen to that. And I just I want to empathize again with those who are at the beginning of this journey because it's really hard to know. It takes trial and error. So there's no shame in in like having your heart set on something, giving it a try. It doesn't work. Like we said earlier, no decision is irreversible. And you definitely get better at weighing these factors. I think in our when back in July, when we did our episodes about moving Remember, I talked about it wasn't just about school, but it was also about where to pick a neighborhood for us to live. And part of that definitely had to do with school districts. Um, And I talked about it being like a like a whiteboard of calculus, like beautiful mind Mm. style, like all of this. You get better at weighing those, balancing the priorities with the, you know, the relative shift to the overall family schedule and all of that as you go. And I don't know that there's any way to skip the part where it's hard, where you you just have to learn by doing for a little bit, but I just, I would, I would, um, encourage people to think about logistics are something that can feel like a hassle over the course of a week, but they can really add up to family culture over the course of a year or five years. So, yeah, that's yes. Very good point. Um, well, this next one I think is, it's not what we always think of first when we think of choosing the right school, because I think academics tend to be the thing or like arts or whatever tend to be the thing that comes to mind first. But let's talk about social life, um, because I know that that makes it hard sometimes to think about making a change. Mm-hmm. Um, or you might think, oh, my gosh, I want like the school's not really working out that great. But my kid has a, a little group of friends that he really likes and I don't want to interrupt that. So let's just like state the truth here in that. A lot of shifting happens. Yeah. It happens through elementary school. It happens in middle and high school. I would I would argue that some of the biggest shifts in social lives my kids have experienced have been between ninth and tenth grades. Hmm. Um, big shifts and between moving out of elementary into middle also is a big shift because suddenly you've got however many times the number of kids. Like it's yeah. you know usually several elementaries are feeding in and everything gets shaken up. So. I, I think that friendships are one of those things we hand ring about a lot, mm-hmm. especially as newer moms. And of course it matters, but how much does it really matter? Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I totally agree. And again, I admit my bias here. I have moved my kids quite a bit more than the average family. And I've seen friendships. I, I've seen new friendships thrive. I've seen ones that I thought would be a real bummer to break up and turns out everyone was fine. Like it was more of a friendship of circumstance, but like there wasn't really a real grieving or a breakup. Um, So I've seen it play out before me to where I can say this, I guess, with more confidence. But there's so much natural shifting that happens 
throughout schooling that has nothing to do with kids changing schools or moving. Um, And I know just recently in our Facebook group, someone posted that they're planning to move their family. And she's just I think her words were like, am I ruining my daughter's life? And she, of course, was like looking for like, we need to make this move. We're going to make this move, but we're going to be pulling her away from her friends. And am I like a terrible person? And um, so many nice people weighed in to say, yeah, I, I went through a move in fourth grade and it was really hard. And here's what helped. And people were constructive about it. But of course, we want to protect those friendships and to if our kid is doing well socially, it feels like real risky to pull them or make an educational change. However, I guess the corollary to this is you could say my priority is the social stability that my kid has built because it's really important to him or her or he really has trouble making new friends. Great. So my priority is that we're going to do everything in our power to not disrupt what we've got going on socially. Guess what? Other people might move. Or they right. might not be in the same class next year or, 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 or they might not like each other. They, yeah, anymore. they might get in a huge I mean, fight. So all the- of my kids have gone through that. Every yeah. single one has lost friends, like besties, like the ones yeah. you would never think they would break off with. They do. Yeah. It happens. Like people grow apart. So, yeah. Yes. And I, I remember I interviewed someone about friendships a long time ago. I can link it in the show notes. But I think she was saying that the especially in the elementary school, years, the friendships are practice. They're, they are practicing their social skills. It's why you have some kids who fight with their friends and some kids who form little gangs and run around and ever it's all, it's like puppies. Like they're working out their, their socialization by practicing in real time. It's why it's messy. It's why feelings get hurt. Um, but in terms of lifelong relationships, the deep kind that you, that become like the fabric of the rest of your life, I think the psychology, the psychologists would tell us most likely those start to happen in like late middle school, early high school, if like somewhere around then. Yeah. It's not to mm-hmm. say you can't have a best friend from third grade who stays your best friend your whole life. If you do, that's amazing. But Personally, I don't think we owe it to our kids to bend over backwards to preserve the fabric of their social lives. If, in fact, a different school or a new opportunity or a family move or something that betters the the overall picture is on the horizon. So I, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, and I will just go a step further to say that I moved in eighth grade um, at the beginning of 10th. Wait. I moved twice. Yes. At the beginning, middle of eighth grade and the beginning of 10th grade. So middle and high school. And I really am glad that I did. I think mm. that there was something about learning about different people and places of living. And just, I mean, well, I just moved around Michigan and they were yeah. always small towns. It's not like I was, I didn't have super culture shock where I moved to a big city or something, but like, I really did learn things that I think just made me a little more well-rounded and mm-hmm. a little more empathetic. And like, I just understand that people are different everywhere you go, even if it's just across the state. Yeah. And I think that is really valuable. So did I lose a couple friends? Yeah. I mean, I'm still, I still keep in touch on Facebook with my best mm-hmm. friend from first grade and second grade. Um, and, and I now still have two best friends from high school, but those were the ones that really became true best friends. Yeah. Like, like you said, the ones that I made in like 10th, 11th grade mm-hmm. were really the friendships that stuck anyway. Um, the other friendships I've held on to are more like novelties. Like Mm -hmm. we share this background, this childhood experience, and that's fantastic and very special, but like that doesn't make me close to them. You know, it just, it makes them part of my history, which is fantastic, but it, it, no one group of friends has to, can be, or has to be everything to your child forever. Um, and like you said, Sarah, you have little less control over that than you think. Right. And it might change on its own. I would hate to see somebody like stay in a less than ideal school situation to preserve some friendships. And then, like you said, the next year they don't like each other anyway, you know, so right. there's no solving. Yeah. There's no predicting for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, last one. And, and this one, I think, man, this is like a big topic. And I think something that people could debate till the end of time, <laughs> but luckily but we only is, have 10 minutes, but luckily we only have 10 <laughs> minutes. So we'll keep it short. And that is that the things that we are often trained to look at to decide whether a school is a quote, good unquote school, like test scores. Um, and that's one that comes to mind because that's one of those easy things to find. Those indicators really, really don't tell the whole story. And, and I'm going to like go first on this a little bit. Cause I have some thoughts about that, um, about this, I guess there are 
amazing teachers, amazing schools that are dealing with issues like language barriers or lack of the ability to prep kids for text, uh, for tests or technology gaps or students whose basic needs like really aren't being met. And so like on the hierarchy of needs, test scores are lower. There could be kids in that school really struggling. And that brings some of those metrics down. But that could be an amazing school for your kid in so many ways, not only because what a, like what a great experience it would be to not be around everybody that's just like you. Um, and that's that's a great experience. But like something about the culture, even of being in like a like a like a scrappy school mm-hmm. that's like really trying to make it work for their kids and has a great like a great feeling to it. There there are often experiences and opportunities that might be available to your kid in that school that would not be in a more competitive school. Um, two things come to mind. My sister being such a um, such an advocate for her public schools, her son Mario got to go to Japan every year in high school. And Mario wow. was a fine was a fine student, but not that good. <laughs> Mario's <laughs> you know? been on our podcast, by the way. Long time listeners. Oh, yes, he has. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, not too long ago. So he's he just turned 30. So I cannot believe I have a nephew who's 30. But Mario got to go to Japan every year because he was in a, a school um, in a more struggling, you know, public school that had a teacher that was very invested both in the Japanese program and in Mario personally mm. and saw um, and just saw potential there and made sure that he went. And if he had been in a super competitive school where he was kind of a OK, but not amazing student, mm-hmm. would that have happened for him? Possibly not. Mm-hmm. Um on the other side, I went to like a tiny rural high school, which meant I was the lead in every play and I got to run track and I got to cheerlead and I got to do as many sports and clubs as I wanted. And that would not be a reality in more competitive schools. So I think sometimes we're looking for these competitive environments for our kids, but then we forget that that means they have to compete. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like, do we want them to compete? Like, is that what they want? I, I don't know that they all do. I think there's just so many things to look at that are like you said, more relationship based and personality based. And just, is it a fit that have nothing to do with the numbers? Yeah, I totally agree. I actually have spent almost zero time looking at those. It's greatschools.org. I think is the main platform. Is that national? Is that where everybody goes? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yep. Um, and I'm sure that's, there's other that's ones. That's where I've always thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I have spent almost zero time ever looking at that because I almost think it would stress me out. Like there's no, there's not enough information and you can't get a real feel. The only time I ever used it was when we were moving to Orange County. Orange County is such a huge area. It's all suburban. There's very good schools in lots of different areas. And, um, we were driving around and we didn't even know what town we wanted to live in. Orange County is 33 cities all just smashed up against each other. So it's it's densely populated. And um, I, I do remember pulling that up because I was like, maybe this will just give me like some sense of approximately where to like put my finger on a map. But th- I think that's the only the only time. And it not only doesn't tell the whole story, I think it it is more problematic than helpful. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm sure there's a purpose for it somewhere in there. But I I definitely don't regret that I didn't lean heavily on those types of ratings or the comments in there going all the way back to our crowdsourcing and comment thread conversation at the very beginning. That's where you'll get the, like the two extremes that we talked Mm -hmm. about. So yeah, I agree. I I think I can hear people kind of asking back like, okay, so if I don't go off grade schools or, or some kind of crowdsourcing, like, how do I, how do I look around? How do I know? And I, I would just say what I said at the beginning, which is talk to People who really have experienced that school, if you do, if you're considering it, um, you can make an appointment. You can, you know, you can make appointments for tours or virtual tours during COVID. Um, Just practice asking questions. Ask your mom friends who are a little bit farther along, like, what questions did you ask? Um, You're going to get better at it as you go, um, but it's probably not going to come from a comment thread, the, the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Or from a number. Or from a number, um, exactly. or ranking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sarah, I guess we're to tie this all up. Can we just say something about how like none of this is going to be perfect. And once you make a decision, I know we've said this before on the show and about a million things, not just schooling, but it's kind of like once you've made a decision, you kind of like, and I know people we've said you can change if things are really bad, you can change. But at some point you kind of have to just say, 
this is a decision I made mm-hmm. and I'm going to let it ride out mm-hmm. because it may not be 100% perfect for my kid, but maybe it's good enough for the family as a whole. Maybe it's mm-hmm. good enough for me. Maybe it's just going to, I just got to give it time to marinate. And I think that can be hard to do too, but like just finding the confidence to take a breath and go, this is as good as it needs to be. Yeah. And especially if you're, if you're in a situation where you have to make the decision, say this spring sometime, but then you're going to have a few months until the school actually starts, you can at least take a break, take a break from worrying about it till the school actually starts. And then I'll give my advice. I always give kinder parents, which is don't even make a judgment one way or the other for, I think I used to say six weeks, but I'm going to say like two and a half months. Like the beginning of kinder is just a disaster for most children. And I've talked about it on the show before, but like it's going to take a few months, a semester to even know whether your opinion of this new school is a valid opinion or if it's just growing pain. So um, you're in this for the long haul. And I think there's that's a little daunting, but maybe it's also a little freeing. Like you can just sit back and like wait and see what happens once you've made your decision and made made peace with your decision. So, yeah. Yeah. And just, I mean, we really didn't talk about COVID very much in this episode, which is amazing. I feel like that's a first. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's been really hard for us to talk about things like schooling and any other long-term decisions went under for the last year when everything's been under this cloud of mm-hmm. uh, uncertainty. But like, I think this is e- even more applicable than ever, these truisms, because there's so much we just don't know and yeah. we can't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of these are just saying, it's okay. It's okay not to know. Yeah. And it's okay if like the choices you're making right now aren't choices you ever thought you'd be making. Mm-hmm. Maybe they feel a little more dramatic. Um, and I think if, if this last year has taught us anything, it's that we can think we've figured it all out mm-hmm. and we'll still get thrown for a loop. And right. some of the best schools might be the ones who are not dealing well with mm-hmm. the new realities. And some of the schools that kind of didn't have the greatest reputation might have done really well. So it's like, you just, you never know what life is going to throw at you. You know. Agreed. Well, and of course this topic is so big that as we were planning it, we realized we do have more to say about school. And Megan, I think you have some ideas specifically about popping back in here in a couple of weeks to really talk about making the best of your school situation as we ride out this year, 2021. Yes. Um, and we didn't really talk today about once you're in it, um, how do we help our kids thrive? And that is a little more COVID specific, I would say. It is COVID specific, or at least it's COVID enhanced. <laughs> yes. But I would say like dealing with things like teachers you're not thrilled about, curriculum you're not thrilled about, um, trying to get in like a gifted program or something like that. Things that happen like mid stride, yeah. like that are happening while you're already committed to the school. And when things don't always work that great, um, it could be hard to to decide like what to do in the moment. So we will definitely um, dig into that more in a few weeks. And we would love to hear from you because I think our people, our listeners would have great yeah. feedback or, or thoughts or questions all surrounding like the the whole, we thought this was the right thing. Now we're dealing or we, th- we still believe in it, Yeah, but here's what's come up. Yeah. What do we do? So yeah. that'll be in a few weeks. Yeah. And that's um, kind of also piggybacks on the episode we just had about advocating for your kids in a crisis. Often with school, it may not feel like a, like a health crisis necessarily, but it still requires some of those same tools to advocate for your kids and kind of to know when to advocate. So that'll yep. be a nice way to continue that conversation. All of these things, if you don't know what we're talking about or if you're behind in your listening or you're brand new today, we will link up in the show notes. And another thing I'll link up, we have a bunch of Spotify playlists uh, that we've created that group together episodes by topic. And um, we have a really great one with school topics because we've talked about school in so many different ways over the years. Um, one episode that's coming to mind right now is maybe a year or two ago, we talked about finding your school volunteering like personality, mm. like being involved at school in a way that works for you. And what's so weird is I'm not involved at any school's at all right now because of COVID and because of our move. Um, But that's something that's, I know, important to a lot of people. And that might be another nice pairing. Once you've made your decision, you do have to figure out like, what is this school going to represent in your life? Like how involved are you going to be? What's the parenting culture like? So um, there's that one and a whole bunch more school related episodes. And I will link up the Spotify playlist, which is a really easy way to just like binge your way through our school related archives. Yep. And we also have another special series coming up where we're going to be talking to single parents and solo parents. And I know that's that distinction can be a little confusing or even controversial, but basically we're just looking for, we're looking to talk to people who find themselves doing the heavy lifting of parenting on a regular basis, whether that's because you're actually like a single mom or divorced mom, 
or maybe you have a traveling spouse or partner or third shift working, you know, like all these Mm -hmm. things that make it so that you end up doing the lion's share of the parenting all by yourself. Um, We would love to hear from you. You can go to the momhour.com slash solo and there's a little form um, and we would love to get your just put your put your info there, share your story, um, send us a voicemail and let us know more about you. Yeah, we would love that. And if do do it soon, because we'll probably start reaching out to people this week. So, all right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening. Check the show notes for all those things we talked about. They're always at themomhour.com. This was episode 298, and we will talk to you soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Tease Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Tease Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Tease Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasemade.com to find all the episodes.